now that we're friends Here is an album you would like Here is a book you would like I think you'd like my cat and also my dog Because we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends, friends. Hello and welcome to Now That We're Friends the podcast that takes your life questions and gives you homework. Uh, hey guys. Hey, how's everybody doing? <laughs> Good. How's fall treating you guys? You know, it's pretty great. I think I might be the only one with a, a solid fall right now. Um, or at least we're trying to be fall up in the up in the Georgia mountains. The evol- oh, I bet it- the evolution just the evolution <laughs> the elevation is making the leaves change and so and like it's getting really chilly in the morning and stuff so it's a lot easier but, to pretend yeah it's that sounds beautiful it's much cooler here in the mornings I mean and during the day it's not ninety degrees every day yeah. anymore which is lovely because our air conditioning broke so I'm hoping <laughs> since it's October. We don't need to fix it until next year. Wonderful. I am no longer just dying of heat stroke all the time when I try to run in the evenings, so that's good. That's yeah. the best. Though it's still like, I like I walk outside, I'm like, oh, it's a bit cool, and then it's like 82 degrees, <laughs> yeah. but it's just not full humidity. <laughs> all relative. It sure is. In Florida, we, we do seasons by what's blooming. Also, mm-hmm. it gets very, very windy usually in the fall, so it's very windy. Yeah, yeah I, I like just recently thought I was like, oh, it's actually it's really cool outside. It's like kind of and of course it's like it's cooler inside my house because which is awesome. Well, normally that's awesome for me. That's not great. I would like things to be at a solid 80 all the time. Right. Um, but it was so cool. And so I, accepted, I was like, oh, it's so brisk and chilly. And then I checked and it was 81. I'm like, yeah, it's <laughs> about right. I also am getting excited about Halloween and I really want uh, my husband to do a costume with me where we both where we dress up like the Fox Disney Fox versions of Robin Hood and Maid Marian. And when I told him, right, it's the best. That's my favorite animated movie. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. That is um, also Matt's favorite animated movie. And when we first started so dating, good, we mine. watched it all the time, which is kind of yeah. strange. But <laughs> when I said I wanted to do that, he goes. I don't know if that's possible for two humans to do, which made me laugh. I was like, no, we'll dress up like we have to do foxes plus the thing. And then he goes, maybe I'll be the rooster and you can be little John. I'm like, no, the rooster, please be romantic like, with me. The rooster who's like the matron. The, no, no, not. Oh, no. What's the, oh wait, no, that's the hen. That's not the rooster. Roosters are male. Her name is like Mrs. Cluck. Oh my god! My, I wish. They are. Phil would be a oh, wonderful Madam Cluck, so though. You're right. <laughs> no, there's like the rooster, like the troubadour yeah. rooster. Yeah, yeah, the rooster who tells the tale yeah. and like does yes. the whistling. Yeah. What's his face? Um, yeah, Roger Miller. Roger Miller, yeah. 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 That was very good. I can't do it. I've been a whistle, doing it since so I, I was just... about two years old. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's by far my favorite animated movie, for sure. I don't have any Halloween yeah. plans, but, um, you yeah, know, either. that could change. Who knows? 
I'm kind of surrounded yeah. by people sure. who don't love Halloween the way that I do. So the last few years in D.C., mm. I haven't really done anything for Halloween. But, you know, it happens. Well, maybe then that's your opportunity to have a party, and then people can come, and then you can be the Halloween person. So I can and they force can just, like, people. Hang out and be themselves. No, but yeah. like you don't have it doesn't have to be Halloween like, hey, what if we were all dead? You know, like you could just because that's what Halloween is. I just is. remember this Halloween <laughs> party when we lived in Western Mass and maybe you guys had uh, moved away already. There was a reading at Flying Object, which was um, this great event space, and it was like a Halloween reading and they told people to come in costume. And I was, like, one of three people who came in costume because I love Halloween. But it was still great because I went as Velma from Scooby-Doo. And I looked amazing. Oh, I'm just going to put that out there. I found the greatest You're- glasses and outfit, and I already had the hair. And let me tell you that as a person with short hair, sometimes I just like having costumes where I don't have to wear a wig. You are very good at Halloween, Anne, you and you are. make really good homemade Thank Halloween you. costumes. Thank you. That has never been a part of my life. I mean, Halloween, like, we're not, like, anti-Halloween at my house. <laughs> but, like, we, our, our costumes were always, like, I'm not going to buy anything for you. I'm not going to work hard to, like, make something or, like, figure something out for you. You figure it out yourself. So, like, my sister and I were, we tended to always be, um, like, my sister was Chris Everett many, many years. I was always a soccer player. Like, we just kind of, like, my sister had a lot of tennis stuff, so she'd wear her tennis outfit, and then I'd wear my soccer outfit, or what, you know, we just kind of, or, you know, some days it would be wear your tennis outfit, and then you can be a cheerleader if you wanted, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> and no, it's just, we didn't have, and then, like, I think, like, a couple years, one, my favorite costume was when I was seven, like, I, I, told, I was, like, I begged my mom to get me a store-bought costume, and I think it was the only time it happened, not saying anything about my mom, because, like, I don't, I don't care either, but it was, but it was this, like, it was the Red Queen, mm-hmm. and it was just this, like, long and, like, but it wasn't super, fl- it, like, wasn't just, like, overly queeny. It was just, like, really simple vinyl. Maybe it wasn't vinyl. I'm just going to say vinyl. <laughs> um, and it was just, like, white and black and red, and then, like, there was some sort of something. I, I, didn't, I didn't wear wigs. I was too, it was too itchy. Couldn't yeah. handle it. I think it came with a wig, and I tried really hard, and it didn't work out. But I loved it, and I just don't think anything could ever compare to that. Aww. That sounds great. Aww. Except I, did, I was the solar system that one time. You were, and that was beautiful. You were. Yeah. That was. I always dressed as, for some reason, I always wanted to go as sort of, like, weird, dark, I don't know, like, non, non-traditional costumes. Costumes that children would generally not choose. Like, for many years, I went as a mm-hmm. rat. <laughs> Because I had this great rat mask that I found, and I was just like, I just want to be a rat. And then, and then, and then one year I went as cousin It from the Adams family, which many people mistook as me being a member of ZZ Top, and I then had to learn who ZZ Top was because no one understood my cousin It outfit. This was all, like, for the age of wow. 10, which is bizarre. And then one year I went as, like, the guy from Alien who has the alien hanging out of his stomach. I don't know if you guys have oh, seen yeah. Alien. That's perfect. Yes. yes. Uh, I've, I mean, more than anything, I've seen Spaceballs. Oh, yeah, so. yeah. So, yeah, same thing. 
Um, hello, my honey. Um, hello, actually, my baby. I oh my god, Michigan J Frog is the best, <laughs> just in general. <laughs> um, my mom did buy me a Little Mermaid, like a, and it was like you know back in the late eighties when like you could wear things like Little Mermaid, but it was also it also like covered up your body and didn't make you feel like you were just yeah. hanging out in a bathing suit. And I really loved it. But I had to wear Keds with it. I had to wear these, like, big navy blue Keds with it. Um, <laughs> and I was so upset because I wanted to go barefoot. So I was like, Little Mermaid didn't wear shoes. Uh, that's um, true. She did. She also didn't have feet didn't have for feet. much of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be weird to put those fins in there. But. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I like, I don't know. I, as I've mentioned before in this podcast, I do not like costumes very much. A, for me, because as we just talked about, it's like a level of, like, commitment that like if you if it turns out no one also dressed up then like then you're the weirdo who dressed up right it's all that yeah that, that fear is always there and then I don't like it when other people are in costume because I don't know how to treat them <laughs> one of my favorite costumes that someone else did that I really loved is that um the first year that we were living in Massachusetts we went to that we went to that Halloween party at the house of maybe some boy named Brian does that I sound think right? It was Kevin Meek. Kevin, yeah. I don't think I was and there. Was I there? Yeah, as you, you know, were there. I have trouble remembering men's names. You were definitely there. And um, I remember that our, our friend Angela Buck came dressed as Moses. <laughs> yes. And she had a giant staff. And I ran into wow. her husband, Carl, and he goes, have you seen my wife? She's carrying a staff. <laughs> and like we stopped and like looked around above everyone's heads to see if we could find her staff. And then we're like, oh, over there. And he's like, thank you. And like went off to find Angela. So, you know, maybe yeah. carry a staff. Caroline went as a cat. And Gail, you went as Sylvia Plath. And our yes, friend that, Jess yeah. went as a fictional character. <laughs> she just like dressed up like an yeah, yeah, lamp. <laughs> Was right? No. She was she was a fake yeah, 80s yeah. idol that year. Yeah. yeah. The next year she oh, was yeah, Kinnicky yeah. and oh, a lamp. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought those were the same year. No, she borrowed like a really 80s looking dress of mine and she and she made up a like name Melissa of like something. a a pop star. It was oh Melissa. God, you Anne. remember that so well, Anne. It was Melissa something and people were asking she's like, "I'm Melissa whatever." And they and she's like, "Don't you remember her?" And that, no one did. That is like the the God's most got to love her. Thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It really is. <laughs> I think I dressed up as Christmas because I had a lot of... Oh, did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, because New I had just Christmas. moved from New York where SantaCon was, like, a big thing. Like, everybody yeah. went, like, bar crawling dressed mm-hmm. as Santa, and so I had, like, a Mrs. Claus outfit, and I was like, I'm not going to use this at Christmas anymore because that's creepy, so you I'll You make some money, though. Be creepy, Mrs. Claus. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, make money. <laughs> hey, what do you want me to do with this Mrs. Claus outfit, Kale? <laughs> so I remember that that night, Anne, I drove you home. And I remember you said to me, are you okay to drive? And I was like, yeah, I am. And then, but I remember telling you, because I had, I was driving a car that was stick shift and I had gotten it not that long before I moved there. And there were so many hills in Western Mass and I was really still getting used to driving stick shift. And so I was, I remember being so anxious because we weren't, 
super close yet, Anne, and I like really wanted you to like me. And I was like, I can give you a ride home. And we like drove back to your house on Blue Hills Drive. But you asked me if I was okay to drive. And I was like, absolutely. I would not drive, you know, if I had been drinking. But then I thought that like, because I was not super great at driving stick shift that you were going to think I was not okay to drive. So I kept being like, I'm just really bad at stick shift. I just got this car. <laughs> well, I must That's- have been pretty drunk because I don't remember any of that. So. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> so thank you for driving me home. You're also, welcome. Anytime, that really. Halloween party was 11 years ago. Oh, my God. That was 2008. Well, that's wild. <laughs> I can't be that surprised. I don't remember any of this happening. So I, re- <laughs> I guess I must have blacked out the entire time. I remember Matt went as the brawny man. Um, oh, yeah, he did. That was like before we really... even, I even really knew him very well. He was just Zach's yeah. roommate. Yeah. He was a good brawny man, though. He was. He was really I don't know. Cute. I'm sure he was. All right. I should we, uh, yeah, we should probably. Should, should we look towards the future instead of the past and uh, <laughs> see what question we have for <laughs> <Yeah>. today? <laughs> yeah, so we've got a question this week. Uh, let me read it. It's, a, it's an emailed question. So here we go. There is somebody that keeps trying to make me look bad at work. She never manages because she's not very bright, just prodigiously underhanded but I've caught her in a few lies that could have cost me paychecks. How can I tell her to cut the crap without giving her the ammunition to play victim? Damn. Mm. Should we give this person a name? Yeah. Um, let's call them Alex. All right. Perfect. Great. The thing I love about Alex's question is that it ends with how can I you know, like point out what's going on, but then not like, it's like recognizing the, um, the manipulation that's going on here. And like that it Mm -hmm. is such a political atmosphere where it's like, I could do this, but then this is exactly what she'll do back. Like, yeah, that's something I I like that about that question. Dealing with bad behavior in a professional environment is the worst And it is so difficult to address because there's so many things in the background. And I feel for Alex because many memories of similar things are flooding back to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I was prepping for this yesterday and I, um, my sister and I picked up my friend Julie. And when she got in the car, the first thing she told us was that, I don't know how she put it, like, not like I made, but like I caused a woman to quit her job this week (laughs) and then she started to tell a story that sounded exactly like what Alex is going through where you know Julie works in a small office with only three other people the people in her office you know three of them get along really well and Julie thought she got along with the the fourth one as well and then the other two people she worked with started telling her that this this fourth person would like talk shit about her as soon as she left and be very kind of like sweet to her face but then talk about how she was incompetent and didn't know what she was doing and then uh julie also found out that this person was saying this to their boss who actually like is not in the office on the day-to-day basis so what julie did was to try to speak to the person directly and say listen i've heard this is going on and just like put it all out in the open and the person was did try to play victim Mm -hmm. And uh, Julie said to her, do not cry. She started to cry and, like, make it all about. And she said, do not cry. And then 
Julie called their bosses and was like, we've got a lot of communication problems. Like, Julie tried a few times with, with everyone in the office to be like, listen, there are a couple things that are happening. One is we have communication breakdowns. The other is that, like, we have someone who's being pretty two-faced. Like, not, and said it directly to her, like, this is a problem is that you you tell us everything is fine and then you turn around and tell other people that we're not doing our jobs or that and you know that's very two-faced this is the problem we're having and then julie called her bosses and said we really need you know we're having problems in the office we really need to have a a conversation and we really need to talk about this and um the bosses came in and they were like we need to talk about what's going on in the office and the woman instead of taking Mm. any criticism just quit just walked out Mm. So she was telling me this story and and she was telling it in a really like comical way. And it was a lot of embellishments and like, or not embellishments, but like a lot of like energy while she was telling it. But as she's, and it was hilarious and I'm like listening to her story. And as she's, as she's saying it, I'm like, I can't believe because this is exactly what we're talking about on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But also the notes I was taking from what Julie did were Mm -hmm. that she tried to just be like open and direct and just say, listen, I know this is what's happening and let's try to deal with this as adults. And if the other person can can do that, then that's probably like a a relationship that can be repaired. Mm -hmm. But if the other person can't do that, at least you're being above board and like they have to then figure out what their move is. Yeah, and what I take from that too and what is in my notes is like in situations like that, it's so easy as the person being sabotaged or attacked or undermined it it's so easy to be reactive and retaliatory at least like in speech Mm -hmm. yeah and so to take some time if you need to to construct the right response and to be to be the Mm level-headed adult because otherwise things will just devolve yeah and this is a situation where what you need to have is maybe perceived as like confrontational like this person is doing things in a ways that are like sneaky and underhanded and it can feel like oh well how can I you know how do I like manipulate too or how do I and you can't you just simply can't play that game you have to just bring things out in the open and being confrontational is hard so that's a lot of what I was thinking about and thinking of um, recommendations for you Alex is like how can you prep for what will certainly be probably st- like a stressful I the word confrontation sounds so aggressive and that's not what I mean yeah. I just mean that like you need to confront this problem head-on mm-hmm. probably and and clear the air at the very least or get it get it all yeah. out in the open yeah. and that sometimes is a daunting thing to do yeah and like the thing about like being an adult and giving it time is that like for me that the hardest thing to then do and I think what Julie does or did really well which was like you point out the the thing that is making it hard to work with and you yeah. like you point out the the actual bullshit that's happening or the actual problem that's work related instead of saying like yeah i think you're being kind of a bitch or like i i see that you're sabotaging me when it's like or which is like i think we actually have a communication issue um yeah so it's like you're calling attention to the thing that's affecting your work and like, like Julie said, this is a communication issue. This is happening, but then it goes and, you know, something else, like you you don't mention this, but you instead mention this to other people and da-da-da, which, like, it's not saying a claim about the person. Yeah. It's being like, right. here's the way that our work is being affected by this. And so it's like, it makes that person less, at least that if they do pretend to feel like they're being 
attacked they have right. no ground yeah and it's yeah. so hard sometimes to keep like the personal and professional right separated and sometimes work environments themselves make that difficult and i speak from personal experience in that sense but yeah i mean making sure that you are addressing the actual the root of the work issue and often the root of that issue is going to be some sort of personality issue yeah but that person's behavior yes, yeah and but actions. approaching yeah. it from yeah the root of the issue and not bringing personal feelings into it is so 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 mm-hmm. key yeah that actually makes me think I hadn't thought about this for my recommendations I didn't write it down and I don't have a ton of information about it but I was talking about um a different work issue with one of my friends a few months back my friend Tori and she was talking about how she had dealt with this an issue with the boss and um she recommended a book called Nonviolent Communication that basically like I, I don't know who wrote it but uh basically what she was telling me is how it, it it makes you like one of the primary tenets of nonviolent communication is that you like if someone is attacking you or you know if you see someone attacking someone personally in a conversation that like you make a conscious move to like you can't see what I'm doing with my hands because this is an audio medium (laughs) but like taking the issue and like separating it from the person and then talking about the issue that is actually the problem rather than like the the people involved Mm -hmm. um so that might be a good that's my half-assed recommendation without any information (laughs) but it's so good to like talk about because like there are so many things where the power is in the fact that it's not talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And so, like, just being like, hey, I'm noticing that you're doing this. When you say it, it makes it all of a sudden this, like, stupid, silly thing that is then out in the open that, like, you feel better because you're talking about it. And then it puts that out. The- so, like, the whole thing, If I mean, I, I have not, I don't think, had a workplace relationship. But I feel like this is, I mean, any other relationship I've ever had where it's been, like, the, all there's so much, like, power in not having nailed something down in words or language or saying it and and yeah all you have to do is because just be like hey I'm noticing this is a problem yeah. yeah I mean I've been in work situations and not necessarily I mean I have been in a situation like this Alex but it was my boss who was the one trying to undermine me behind my back which is a whole other potato or whatever it is a whole other potato can of worms can of potatoes whatever um but also yeah i think a lot goes on in workplace environments that just goes unsaid and that just devolves into passive aggression and people forming alliances with each other about other people's behaviors, which has also happened in previous office environments that I've been in. And then when someone, and then you realize that no one's actually called this person out on the behavior. So like you said, Gail, it's like putting that actual language together and putting it out into the open verbally. Mm -hmm. It seems so simple, but it's so difficult. Mm -hmm. But like I had a colleague who was just really condescending to everyone no matter what sort of question they were asking she spoke in this very belittling tone as if the question you were asking was the question a child would ask and everyone talked about this behavior except for her Mm -hmm, and so one day 
I went up to her and asked her some sort of question about my work and she answered in some really condescending tone and I just said hey could you not talk to me like that please (laughs) even just that I was like could you talk to me like I'm an adult and she looked at me and she went I'm so sorry it's something I'm working on and that I know that and I was like holy shit yeah (laughs) and not saying that that's that that's what's gonna happen here but But just, like, verbal communication and direct communication sometimes can be, like, the simple thing that doesn't seem so simple. Totally. I would have, if I had tried to tell that that woman to stop, to start talking to me like an adult, I would have not been able to get out the second word. I don't cry emotionally. However, when it comes to confrontation, I will cry immediately. Oh yeah, I mean, this was like 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 I wouldn't be able. This was after like two and a half years of working at this place, so (laughs) it was not not like the second time it happened. I confronted her. Yeah, it was years of just feeling shitty about it, and then taking that shitty feeling home and stewing on it instead of just like addressing the thing. Yeah. So one of my recommend this isn't a media recommendation, but yeah, both of you all. Both of y'all. Hi, I'm back in Georgia. Um, hey. Is the little word I like to call, because that's what it is, uh, ouch. <laughs> this is a longstanding history. We have a, a longstanding history with the word ouch. Because we had a friend who we will call carbon monoxide, who um, <laughs> is... It would say things that uh, would be hurtful, but not hurtful enough to where you could really say anything. So where you can kind of stop and say, like like Anne did, hi, can you stop talking to me like that? Because then that like really escalates things. And you don't really need it to escalate, but you're also like, wow, I'm continually feeling like shit thanks to this person. Yeah, right? little digs, little backhanded compliments, yeah. little, you know. All the time, <laughs> constantly. And one thing I really learned with this kind of behavior or even just, and I think also if it's this kind of behavior or if it's actually a misunderstanding or mistake, right? Um, or at least like they can clarify whether it's a misunderstanding or a mistake. Caroline, can you think of a, of a backhanded compliment right now? Wow, your hair actually looks great today. Ouch. <laughs> right? So like it's, it's, it's jokey. I would say it's, it's hilarious because <laughs> I'm so funny. No, but it's like a quick little like, Ouch! Like, and it's something that, like, if it didn't matter, then you move on, and it you you don't have to address it. But it's this, like, I've noticed that you said something that is that's a little rude. That's a little rude, but I'm gonna laugh about it and treat it like it's funny, so that it then gives that person the opportunity to go, oh no, no, that's not what I meant. Oh, I'm so sorry. Or I don't I'm know so why sorry. I put it. I don't. Right. Want, I I only put it like that because it's really humid today, and my hair looks like shit, and I'm really just impressed that your hair looks so nice because it's totally. very humid. So it like turns into either the miscommunication is solved or Mm -hmm. that person can then go like, oh, I see now that like they're noticing that I'm being an absolute crap. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're on to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's like my, I recommend it for everybody. I tell my students all the time because I think it's a really, it's like a nice de-escalating way to let someone know that they've hurt your feelings. Yeah. I think there's a silver lining in this question and that's the detail that Alex gives us that this person is not particularly bright Mm -hmm. yes um and i I have 
I have a recommendation with that in mind. I recommend watching the Lawrence Fishburne Othello. Um, nice. Because I love it. I think it's a great movie. Um, but Lawrence Fishburne, well, and I, I really love the play Othello, but Lawrence Fishburne plays Othello. Kenneth Branagh plays Iago. Mm. And yeah. I think, yeah, Iago <laughs> is a great example of someone who is both prodigiously underhanded and very bright. And so I think watching that and seeing how kind of like, I think that Kenneth Branagh plays that role with a lot of um, zeal and and pleasure. Um, and so it's it's pretty fun to get to watch him play this like just like kind of pure evil yeah. character. You know he's been wanting to do it for years. Yeah, yeah. But then also you can watch it and think and and have maybe a certain sense of relief. Like okay, at least I'm not dealing with Iago. Like this person is manageable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone who may not cause me actual harm. Harm. <laughs> who will right. not make me? Spoiler alert kill my wife <laughs> yeah i was gonna say i don't i don't know if we can spoil othello but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've had a couple hundred years alex yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> just a few <laughs> you don't have to actually read this just bringing it up thinking about it machiavelli's the prince right yeah come on <laughs> this is like what we're talking about <laughs> that's like, what uh, matt recommended when i mentioned yeah. this question he's like yeah. are you gonna recommend machiavelli <laughs> I thought about it as well. <laughs> and both of you said, no, that's too dorky. And then here no. I come. <laughs> I haven't read it, to be honest. Uh, so. I mean, it's pretty much the gist of it is like you, you get the gist. It's just that yeah. over and yes. over again. Politics Supreme has a Supreme conniving yeah. dealing. Yeah. yeah. That like there are different moralities and the things that we need to do in politics are necessary um, that are things that we would not necessarily do in our normal human lives, but that they are necessary. And so, and my quote, it's my favorite quote. Hold on, where is it? And I also have a note here that says, so it talks, so there's like no mention of natural law, right? Where it's like politics has a moral logic of its own at times requiring actions that might be regarded as reprehensible in society. There's no mention of natural law. And then I have, you can make up your own law. So like, but maybe don't make it be this. That was it. It's like you can make up your own law, but like maybe don't go quite as far as Machiavelli. Machiavelli. Um, But the quote is, hence it is necessary that a prince who is interested in survival learn to be other than good. (laughs) (laughs) I think that sums it up. That's it. That's all it is. Um, That is such like skilled doublespeak, other than good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, learn to be other than good. Well, and it like really, I mean, the reason I liked reading it in Western Civ in college, my honors Western Civ Symposium is what we called it. it just means mm-hmm. big class, I think. <laughs> um, and but I, it like I liked it because it was it was like one of the first things that really separated the fact that like hey, we can make up our own laws or like we like morality is. I don't say it's necessarily completely relative, but like it's not you know it's intrinsic not a law to things, yeah right. it's not yeah it's not a part so like. What it means, what I'm taking it as in this situation, again, is you can make up your own law, but like maybe don't make it be this one. Don't execute people, you know, but you can make up the the laws that we're talking about where it's like you can kind of play the game, too. But, you know, don't. Be a ruthless prince. Be reasonable. Yeah. So I have a recommendation that is many rungs lower brow. Well, I'm a little, yeah, I brought this a little too high. Then Machiavelli. (laughs) 
but in thinking about especially like we were just talking about this kind of little gem in here of Alex's question of saying that this colleague is not super bright Mm -hmm. um just underhanded I started to think about you know taking the high ground (laughs) is even Mm -hmm. more important because obviously the sabotage may not even be something that is malicious it is something that is coming from a place of insecurity and maybe wanting to advance professionally in a way that you see someone else doing more capably than yourself Mm -hmm. so i thought of of a tv show that i'd actually forgotten about but really loved where the main character is in a professional environment and the way that she handles just constant underhandedness and people making her trying to make her look bad constantly is the show ugly betty Ooh. starring america ferrera oh which i love that show it's such a good show because it's like campy and silly but it's also really empowering and powerful and i think has some really fantastic messages behind it but what i love about betty is that she enters this really nasty work environment which is working at a fashion magazine where she is just constantly being attacked for her appearance not being super fashionable being kind of naive but the way that betty rises above and like achieves all of her professional goals is by being professional is by getting her work done in trying not to get bogged down in other people's underhandedness and then she ends up being kind of the person that a lot of folks turn to in times of crisis Mm -hmm. because she's just she's there to do her job and she is kind and she is patient and really becomes kind of a role model for how to act in a professional environment when people are just trying to tear you down which I think is really difficult to do yeah and also thinking about that show Betty really gets a lot of her strength from her family. She's close with her father and Ugh, her sister and her, her nephew. Sister, Hildy. And Hilda? Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Hilda. Yeah. That their family has such a great dynamic and so that's something maybe to think about too, Alex, is like just where you can separate out your work life from the rest of your life. And certainly you should, you know, straighten out this this issue at work, but also just remembering whatever stresses might be happening at work, they don't have to be, they don't have to bleed into your real life. And in, if possible, even your real life could kind of strengthen you to be excellent at dealing with this in your work life. Yeah, like Betty. And, I, and I love that you brought that up because Betty is also, she is, I mean, obviously she gets insecure and people treat her like garbage, But, like, the thing about Betty is that she has this strength that comes from herself and her family that she brings into the workplace, and she is just, like, pretty unapologetically herself. 
and she's like okay mm-hmm. with who she is and then she she excels personally and professionally because of that strength mm-hmm. but yeah compartmentalizing is really important also because you can just get bogged down and then have stress dreams about work and that's not good either mm-hmm. no it's not um on that note i would like to recommend something else if i may it's an app <laughs> It is a meditation app, more specifically, that I swear by. It's the Calm app, which I'm sure everybody has heard of. Um, But I find that taking a little bit of time in the morning for mindfulness meditation, and I'm not going to get too, like, I'm not going to diverge too much here. Yeah, exactly. But there's a specific meditation that I came upon recently because I am someone who has a really hard time compartmentalizing work and my personal life. And I am also honestly someone who has trouble, like we were talking about earlier, with reactivity when I feel like I am being unfairly attacked. Um, And I was having this particularly bad morning a couple months ago where I was just like really dreading going into work. I wasn't doing very well like mental health wise and things were stressful at work and there was this guided meditation I did that morning that was all about um, reactivity, like verbal reactivity, um, which I really needed that morning. But basically the three questions that this person who's doing the guided meditations, her name is um, Tamara Levitt. I think that's her name. She says, before you respond to any, before you react verbally to like anything that you might want to react impulsively to, is to ask yourself three questions, which are, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Which seems so simple, but it is something that I have found great need for. And I actually have that written on a little post-it in my desk. I'm writing it down right now. (laughs) Because I am someone, and you guys know this about me, that I often will react to things even if there's nothing to react to. Because sometimes I'm down and I'm just feeling like agitated and often someone will say something and even before I've maybe even formed an opinion about it if it's somebody who I'm already (laughs) like irritated with or whatever like I'll just react to be contrary which is Uh not (laughs) useful or productive for anybody sometimes Um, it's really fun sometimes it's really fun and then you and then sometimes you feel really bad about it later yeah which is often (laughs) me but anyway I find those three questions to be really useful just when thinking about how to react verbally to things and maybe that will be relevant to you Alex um maybe it won't be but I find that to be useful in situations where you feel like someone is really kind of getting under your skin and um the kindness part I think is difficult because if this woman is really trying to sabotage you maybe maybe it's the wrong question but I'm sure that question can be reframed in, in a mm-hmm. useful, productive way. I really like 
the way that you called them guided meditations, which is, I know the words that they are, but I like it because as you kept saying it, I kept thinking about like this person named Guy did meditations. <laughs> then I got started thinking about like Guy Fieri doing meditations. Oh, God. And then I started going into an app that's full of meditations done by Guy Fieri. And Fieri, I want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a diners, drive-ins, and dives yeah. thing that would be like like mindfulness, something. It's, I don't know. Yeah, I'm I, I'm having alliterative issues right here. But <laughs> yeah, let me think on it. Sure, <laughs> give it some time. So, I have a recommendation um, that I think kind of ties in here because I think one thing that is kind of crazy making in a situation like yours, Alex, is how you feel very suspicious and a little bit paranoid probably because you know that this person is doing some underhanded things. And so then that puts you on your guard and you're kind of probably giving a lot of, I would imagine, a lot of thought to this in your working day that is distracting you from doing what you really need to be doing. Um, And I was thinking of a book that kind of replicates that paranoia but in a very different setting. Um, And it's the book White is for Witching by Helen Oyeyemi. And the book follows this family. Um, There's a girl, the main character is this girl, Miranda Silver, and she and her uh, father and brother, I think twin brother, uh, have moved into a house together um, after the death of her mother. And they're like, the house is haunted. So there are these other people living there and you are throughout the book never really certain whether the spirits are real whether they're you know actually living beings or if they're just if it's just a haunted house to the point where I honestly don't recall there's a particular (laughs) thing like I I read it I loved this book but when I love a book I read it usually pretty quickly and then I often forget endings and so Miranda there's another character there's another um there's a girl about her age who keeps kind of popping up in the story and it seems as though she's got some underhanded purposes um and and she's always kind of got Miranda both obsessed with her but then also you know, suspicious of her. So I thought about this book. I think you'd really enjoy it. It's weird and it's beautiful. Helen Oyeyemi does a great job of writing in with these kind of fairy tale tropes, Mm -hmm. but in modern settings. And this book is no exception. I love everything I've ever read by her, but this is the one. White is for Witching is the one I think would be um, good for you. And I just pulled a little quote from it. She thought I hadn't seen her, but she's no good at hiding her intentions. She can't help tiptoeing around with a finger to her lips at key moments. Mm. Um, yeah, and that made me think of your less than wonderful coworker. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you my recommendation. Awesome. <laughs> Are you ready for it? Sure, I am. It's. And I'm just kidding. It's not that great. Um, <laughs> so I recommend Alex the book version of The Silence of the Lambs. Why, you ask? (laughs) I'll tell you why. (laughs) I sure do ask. (laughs) This was the, actually, the first recommendation I thought of. Actually, well, 
besides <laughs> ouch that's always the first one but like this came to me like a beacon in the sky i just <laughs> it, i saw it so clearly so i'll talk to you about it and i guess so in general a lot of my recommendations today are a little bit more like uh like women characters um trying to do their job um when they're continually kind of like looked down on sabotaged and questioned and everywhere that they go. So I have like a couple of different characters that like I was thinking about. But for me, and this is especially why I think, I mean, the movie is incredible for the same reason that the book is incredible, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, But I think the book gives you a little bit more time to sit with and see some of the interactions that happen and what they talk about. So um, either is great. However, it is a fantastic book. I can't recommend Silence of the Lambs, the book, more. I mean, the thing about Silence of the Lambs is that so ahead of its time, it highlighted the male gaze and it highlighted like how I mean I think and that's why I think the movie does such a good job the movie picked up on the fact like you can do it in a book and it's fine right And it's like oh this is this big deal it's a male writer trying to show and it's all showing there's no telling it's all just kind of these like really subtle subtextual moments of uh, Clarice Starling slash Jodie Foster because even when you read the book, you know, you like, you think about Jodie Foster. You're like, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's in the book. Um, when do you not think about Jodie Foster? Seriously, Let's question. I don't know. Um, but like, so the entire time, all Clarice Starling has ever wanted to do is A, I guess, avenge her dad, right? And B, mm-hmm. her freaking job. Yeah. All <laughs> she ever wanted to do was her job. And... There are so many moments, and this, so that's why like, I, I like her having her um, roommate, Ardelia, um, who I honestly can't, I don't remember how, I think Ardelia actually plays a little bit more of a role in the book, but I know she, uh, you know, she's there in the movie too, but their conversations about work, their conversation, like just even just kind of the pointing out that she's pretty much the only other female FBI agent in the, in at least the book that we see. And that like, mm-hmm. I mean, so the, there's just all these scenes of Clarice having to deal with misogyny wherever she goes. And every single time, she tends to not call it out. She just kind of like puts it aside. Like, um, I think there's this one moment where she has a conversation with Hannibal Lecter and he just says something like super gross. He's like, uh, do you, does Jack Crawford, your boss, want to have sex <laughs> with you? And she just goes, that doesn't interest me. Like, just. Yeah. Oh, what a great right? response. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but she just has to deal with all of this bullshit. And like, they just kind of like, even when she goes and she looks at the moths to like, see what kind of moth like is in this body. And the like entomologist is like, Hey, you ever want to go on a date? And she's like, no, thanks. I'm fine. Like every, but just, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And all she ever wants to do <laughs> is her job. Right. And that's, yeah. <laughs> and like the movie does this, there are two scenes in the movie that do it so well. One, I can't, it's just, I, I'm, I like, sometimes I just feel like I'm, I'm, in this scene because it's so uh, relatable to me. But it's when she is in um, the FBI building, I'm guessing. What is it? Quantico? Am I just making it up? Quantico. It's Quantico. Yeah. No, okay. you're right. Um, I mean, but I don't, it, let's pretend they're in Quantico. I like, yeah. you know, sure. I'm pretty you know, sure they're in Quantico. The buildings. Yeah. Um, yeah. And she gets in, they like, the elevator opens and it's like this elevator full of just like six foot one dudes and then she walks in. It's, it's my <laughs> Facebook cover. Actually, I changed it, but it's, my, at least my Twitter cover. I've I tend to so she walks in. Jodie Foster is I think an inch taller than me. She's five foot. Oh, she's two. Teeny tiny. Yeah. Teeny tiny. Um, she's tall to me, you know. But 
Like, <laughs> but like I, I you're very small, Gail. Yeah, well, I'm very short. Um, but she, uh, she like walks into this group of these like six foot tall men, and then it just sits in the in the elevator, and then it just looks up at them, and then like the doors close, mm-hmm. and but everything is so. And then they all look at her, and the entire movie, and then like the beginning of the movie is her running through the. Um, training path like she's doing yeah. the like cross-country path right and like doing all this stuff and then there are stuff like and while she's running a lot of the trainees will like as they're running then turn back to look at her while she's running and then there are like all these like silent moments when like she and Ardelia will walk around and the trainees will just like silently turn around and like look at her as or look at them as they're walking and like none of this is mentioned and this is one of the reasons why it took me forever I like tried to find a quote such a good quote but the yeah. point is that it's all just there and which is a, misogyny, and B, uh, like, I think it's a lot of this, like, toxic workplace stuff, too, where it's, like, all of these things you can't really point, like, you can point out, it's, this point is pretty clear, but, like, we can call it something like the male gaze, um, but, like, in a workplace, it's mm-hmm. these things where they just keep compounding and compounding, and it's just what it's like mm-hmm. to live in a world, for Jodie Foster, it's what it's like to live, for Jodie Foster, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's for Jodie Foster, too, but I mean for Clarice Starling, where it's like what it's like to just want to do your job when everyone's trying to undermine you, right? Which also just, it's so much easier to just go do yeah. your job and not bother other people. Right? Like, everyone just, yeah. I, it, it is really frustrating, Alex, that this person is making their their work life, I mean, they are distracting from their own work mm-hmm. by putting effort into undermining you. Which just seems like why give yourself an extra job to do? Just yeah, they don't seem that bright. Work, so yeah. like, do your job; it'll be less stress for everyone. Yeah. yeah so yeah. there's you spend most of your life at your job anyway. So why not True. just like do your job and then go home and do more fulfilling things? Yeah. Yes. Why make someone's life miserable while you're at your job? Yeah. I just don't get it. So there's this scene. There's like this scene when they uh, are looking at a body and there's all these cops around and they're just yelling and talking and and Jack Crawford, her boss, he's he's like give he's opening a door for her. Like he knows that she's a great trainee. He's like doing all this stuff for her. But he's still there's several moments when he's like, I don't know if you should see this or like. Um, you know, mm. he like doesn't really know how to handle her sometimes. And um, then there's this moment when they get down to, I think it's West, they, I think it's somewhere in West Virginia. And it's like tiny town in West Virginia. It's all these small town cops and they're all hanging out in the big room and they're all just yelling. And Jack Crawford's like trying to listen to the phone and like there's a dead body and they're trying to, they're like trying to take pictures and talk about it. And there's just so much stuff going on. And then, no, let's say, then Jody. Then Clarice Starling just yells out to everybody, can you please get out of the room? We are trying to figure this out. Like, we are trying to continue this investigation. Can you leave the room? All of the cops are like, don't know what the hell to do because this, like, tiny, tiny woman is telling them, is, like, yelling at them to get out of the room. Mm-hmm. And Jack, I can't totally remember what happens, but, like, he does, I mean, the very least, like, he doesn't give her a lot of credence here. And then after this uh, scene, he says something, I think he said, like, yo, you made him really uncomfortable back there. And she goes, like, they look to you to see what to do and how to treat people. They're looking to you. You have to be able to show this. You have to do it. To me, it's that communication of, I'm going to take it to the workplace. I'm going to take it to, this is the issue. This is the work issue. I'm communicating to you where the problem has happened as far as work goes. Like, you are mm-hmm. the boss. They are not, they are impeding the investigation by acting this way. I tried to do this. It's your job to, uh, and this is her talking to her ba- boss, which is even scarier, right? And, yeah. Because yeah. um, then you're like, you know, you're really rocking the boat. You're rocking the Titanic, and that shit just, you know, you don't want to go there anymore. 
No. <laughs> but like I mean <laughs> it sinks. We guys. can't, I know. But <laughs> um but yeah, I just like it's it's so good and it, the reason I love it and you guys know this about me is because I can't stand it in movies or shows. Any trope where you win by not following the rules. Like mm-hmm. the I call it the Grey's Anatomy trope or the, you know, whatever where it's like <laughs> I'm going to just, I'm such a renegade. I'm so smarter than everybody. And I'm going to do this this way. And I'm going to not follow the rules. And, and then there's like the moment where it's, oh no. There, turns out, like they really broke the rules. They could get fired from their job. And then of course, like, you know, someone comes in and is like, you know what? Well done. Well done. Turns out you actually got the answer right because you went and decided not to follow the rules and like flout security and all of this crap where it's like, and then turns out, you know, yeah. oh, you, and you like, really found this new thing. A- a medical study. Right, exactly. But it's like, no, you, you turns out you we're going to make it the right thing. you should get fired for. Yes. There are rules for a reason, people. And, but yeah, so and then they like get rewarded for, for not following rules. And there's nothing that I hate more because, <laughs> because I like following rules. And I just think that you, so, and I think that you should be able to win by following rules. I think that, that and I know that that, you know, the world isn't a yeah. meritocracy. I understand. I'm trying to tell myself this every day. But that's the reason I love this this movie so... I mean, there's like a thousand reasons why I freaking love this movie. But one of them is that she just does her job. And she does it well. Yeah. And she is noticed because she's good at her job. And then people open doors for her. And she continues to be good. And then Hannibal Lecter doesn't kill her. And then everything is fine. Yeah. And when she notices that people are not doing their jobs, yeah. she calls them out on it in ways that are both direct but mm-hmm. also professional. Yeah. Hi, you're not doing your job. We need to save this person or figure out why this person died so that we can save the next person. Do your, do your freaking job. Do your job. I love it. <laughs> There's this episode of the podcast Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend where mm-hmm. he interviews Kumail Nanjiani, who just seems like a wonderful human. Yeah. He really is. But great. he goes off on this tangent of like, because he was raised to follow the rules and he grew up in like a very serious family. Like his dad was a surgeon and you know, he, he was like an, from an immigrant family too. So there's like this extra pressure. But anyway, totally. he was like one of my least favorite movies that everybody loved was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I know! He's like, I hated that movie because here's this douchebag who's just like a shitty student, a shitty friend. He basically puts his best friend in peril just so he can have, like, his own white boy day off. I mean, he's also just so mediocre. People, like all these people out and he's just like i don't understand why people can't just follow the rules i know <laughs> i don't i haven't i don't I recommend that, that podcast yet. as a whole because i think mm. it's really hit or miss depending that's, on that's okay that makes sense conan is interviewing mm-hmm. um i love everything every one i've heard so far i've probably heard like five or six my favorites are um the kumail nanjiani one was really good that was the I've most that, that was a pretty recent one Lisa Kudrow was also... That's, it's the best one, yeah. I think my favorite. Um, the, oh, also the one with David Sedaris. Oh, I haven't but, heard that um, one. so great. I love the Kristen Bell one, too. Yes, Kristen Bell. 
Um, we can take all this out because it's not super relevant. But, um. <laughs> I'm going to add something in the same vein in case we keep this stuff in, okay. which is that um, in her first book, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me? Mindy Kaling has an essay about the song um, Jack and Diane. Is that called? Is that the name of the song, Jack and Diane? Uh, yeah, there's a there's like a parenthetical thing to it, but I think yeah, that's life it. goes on, Jack yeah. and Diane or whatever. Yeah. So and it's the she talks about how how stupid that song is, and it's uh, all about Jack and Diane, how they're like teenage renegades or whatever, and then the the chorus is. Yeah. Oh, yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. And she talks about how they're just, like, so focused on being cool and they're not doing the right things. <laughs> She's like, the one I want to hear is, like, a little story about Leela and Raj who do their homework and get into college. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, is it, like, hold on, to fi- hold on to 16 as long as, as you can? As long as you can? She's like, hold on to 16 no. as long as you can. Throw no. that shit away. <laughs> yeah. That was the worst. That was one of yeah. the worst years. Yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> One thing, so I have this quote. It's not from the book, but it's from. Sorry, I'm back. Just to, real quick, back to the science of the landscape. Yeah, let's like the cap quote that is, up. The I read there was an article that was saying she. So it's cutting through masculine pride to be effective at her job. Where that's that's all it is. It's like the end goal is to be effective at her job. Yep. That's yeah. That's all. That's great. Yeah. Something I thought about in your question, Alex, is the idea of catching someone in a lie, which. T- to me, it sounds so stressful because I'm sure when you catch her in a lie, I'm imagining myself in this situation. And catching someone in a lie, I feel like, depending on the, the type of lie and the situation, sometimes I feel just really embarrassed. Like when I can, mm-hmm. when I know someone is lying, I'm like, oh my God, they're lying right now. If it's not super high stakes, I just feel like really embarrassed for them. Mm-hmm. But I'm, but then also, if it is a high stakes thing, if someone is lying about you and you catch them, they're so emotions are probably running super high at that point and so it's it may feel very difficult to like confront or clear the air in that moment because you know like Anne has given you the really good advice not to be too terribly reactionary and it's hard I think to do that when you are probably pretty incensed um but thinking about catching people in lies made me think I was trying to think of mediums where that happens a lot and I thought of I thought of procedural dramas Mm -hmm. um you know, that interrogation scene that, you know, they all have every week about (laughs) where someone cracks the case by kind of catching someone out in a lie. So I'm just recommending procedurals in general. One where I think the interrogation scenes are particularly strong is The Closer, starring Mm. my dear friend whose name is blanking. Tell me how she's talking. Yeah. My dear friend who <laughs> The Closer starring Kira Sedgwick. She's, you know, she's called The Closer because she's the one they kind of bring in at the end to like break the um yeah. the suspect and like and she very often it's like catching them out in a lie. And then I also thought of Nancy Drew. <laughs> and just kind of the sincere and eager aptitude of Nancy Drew. <laughs> And she's just so good at doing her investigation and catching, you know, catching the lie. Mm-hmm. So following I think procedure, I might... following rules. Yeah, yeah exactly. Doing so their freaking job. Doing their jobs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I recommend maybe watching some procedurals of your choosing, particularly perhaps The Closer, and then also maybe read a Nancy Drew. Um, I know, you know, they're they're geared towards young readers, but they're fantastic stories, and you could probably read one in an afternoon. Yeah. Um, and then if you like it, there's so much more and maybe you loved Nancy Drew when you were younger and this will be a great moment of nostalgia or maybe you've never read Nancy Drew and it will be a a nice um, exciting thing for you I have one last recommendation for Alex and it's a little bit out of left field but I was trying to think of 
you know, ultimately what you want in this situation, Alex, is justice. You want, you know, regardless of what happens to this person, um, you want them to know that you're onto them and for them to stop and for you to no longer, you know, potentially be seen in an unfair way or treated in an unfair way because of this. So you want, maybe part of you wants there to be consequences for this person. I would say that part doesn't necessarily matter as much as long as they cut the crap. And so I was trying to think of something where justice is is served up in a really satisfying way. And I thought of one of my favorite movies that I've seen so many times, which is My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> And my cousin Vinny stars Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei. And uh, Joe Pesci's cousin is, um, they're, they're from New York, and they, they have a very, like, exaggerated kind of New York style. <laughs> and Joe Pesci plays a lawyer who's never actually really practiced much law. And his little cousin, played by Ralph Macchio and one of his friends, get arrested in a small southern town for murder, a murder that they didn't commit. And uh, Ralph Macchio calls, Ralph Macchio's character, calls his cousin Vinny, Joe Pesci, to come down and help him. And Joe Pesci, it's a really, like, fun, funny movie, but there's also a lot at stake because these kids are being charged with murder in this small town, and it seems like justice might not go their way because they're these outsiders. Um, And Joe Pesci has to do, you know, has to work really hard and be do the type of lawyering he's never he's always wanted to but never actually gotten to do and marissa tomei plays his girlfriend and she's amazing she actually got an oscar nomination and possibly a win for this role i think she won i think marissa tomei won a best supporting actress oscar for this role and it's not your typical oscar movie so just that just shows how fantastic her performance is in this but there's a really great scene where she is the one ultimately to make sure that justice is served. Vinny calls her to the stand and she's able to catch out the lie that's happening and to really blow the case open and make sure that these kids get out. Um, And so that's a really great thing. And that's really the reason I think you should watch it. But I also just think Marissa Tomei is so fantastic in this movie. And there's another scene that is less applicable to your job, Alex, where Marissa Tomei is she's dressed in this like floral cat suit. Um, and Joe Pesci, Vinny, is sitting on the porch of like this little cabin where they're staying while he's trying to, to try this case. And he's so stressed. And she's like, OK, but we need to talk about getting married because you said that we would get married as soon as you tried your first case. And that was 10 years ago. And now my niece, the daughter of my sister, is getting married and my biological clock is ticking like this. And she's like, like slamming her like high heel boot down on the wood porch. Um, and he's like and she goes, she's like, and I don't know when we're going to get married. And then Vinny goes, do you think that we could maybe not put an additional thing on this case. He's like, my license to, to practice law, these kids' lives. The, like, and he's like, and your biological clock. Could we put possibly any more stakes on the outcome of this case? And she just looks at him and goes, maybe it wasn't the right time, and walks away. <laughs> and it's just so perfect. She is so cute. She's such a fantastic actress. I love her so much. Um, but I think that that's a good, like, 
justice being served by the truth coming out movie. That well is great. I want to rewatch Thanks. My Cousin Vinny. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> so speaking of fantastic ladies of the acting world, thespians, if you will, um, <laughs> like Marissa Tomei, I'd like to bring up a few of my favorite characters of TV shows. Um, Please. Really just quick, quick little, quick little babies. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, Miranda Bailey, Grey's Anatomy. Particularly, so the thing, I lo- the thing I love about Miranda Bailey is the thing that I've pretty much been harping on this entire episode, which is that she follows the rules, she does her job, and then she gets recognized for doing her good job, which sometimes leads her to not getting the, per- and this is like a lot of, so a lot of her struggles are not being recognized for what she does at different times. And then especially in the episode, <clears throat> The Time Warp, uh, season six, episode 15, when they all go back and talk about um, like medical mysteries that they went through. So she ends up talking about her being like being an intern and trying to figure out this medical mystery, but then being kind of thwarted by the um, the resident who is teaching her um, ends up like a telling her she's stupid, won't let her get near the patient, won't let her do her work. But then when Miranda finally does re- like under- like realize what's going on with this patient, the resident then steals her diagnosis and pretends credit. it was her job. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah, takes credit, whatever. Pretends it was her job. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> she then takes credit. <laughs> she takes credit for, for Miranda's work. And that happens. I don't know if it specifically happens like that several, several times. So what happens in the end of the episode is that eventually, I think Miranda calls her resident out and is like, I noticed that you did this, right? And then uh, the chief like points her out and like brings her to the office and like commends her for doing you know I don't know it's this whole thing but she ends up getting recognized for the work that she's done by following the rules and um that happens to her quite a lot like she tends to kind of like not tends to but there are moments when like she doesn't get the um chief position that she should have gotten and she does you know she kind of like has to and she continues to like dig deep and follow the rules and like because like Clarissa Starling, she has deep respect for the the institution and the work that she does. And so like she she's not gonna like thwart the institution. She's not gonna like she's not gonna rebel against everything that it stands for. She she respects and like loves what she does and wants to keep doing it. And so just kind of digs deep and succeeds at it. So then number two, all of the women in the West Wing, every single woman of the TV show. So the first person I thought of was actually Ainsley Hayes. Um, who oh, I love her character. I love she her so much. disappears without anyone um, mentioning it. Then she disappears. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite era of that show, though, when Ainsley and Sam are both on. Oh, yeah. Me too. But she's someone who who gets back, gets like, so she's being sabotaged by so many people because A, she's a woman, but B, she's a conservative Republican woman and comes in and... You know, she and again, deep respect for the institution and the government and like what's happening. And she loves, she loves the work, and so she just wants to work really hard. And she's like, there's the episode when the the two men like send her uh, dead roses and call her bitch, and or and like write a big note that says bitch or whatever. And then Sam goes and does it. So there's like a lot of sabotage that happens. But what I'm thinking of is how she even got the job in the first place, which is when she has that debate with Sam mm-hmm. on Capital Beat, and. Uh, Sam kind of grandstands um, around all this stuff and it takes a long time. Everyone thinks he's winning. Everyone's like, oh man, Sam's just so good. He's the best. And like even the the like talk show guy is like, oh man, great job. And then she gets up and is like, well, 
and then like uses facts and information and is calm about it and like gives her reasoning as to like like what you're doing is is really I mean it's still granted it's like it's going way off and I'm here to tell you actually how it works and here's my thing and you just kind of steamrolled me this entire time I'm gonna now tell you what's up and again focus on the work right focus you guys focusing focus on the work and and then she gets the job despite all odds and she's able to call people and she several times calls people out for what they do and I think and like she kind of uses her awkwardness to do so like she's like I noticed that you did this and did it and it's and you know and they she kind of uses that like awkwardness in her voice and awkwardness in her actions to kind of point out when people are are not being fair to her or not helping her with her job so and then CJ Craig no please and I was just gonna add something else about Ainsley Hayes is that she's also her friends who yes don't want her to work for a democratic president take her out to dinner like the basically the night that she's offered the job and she's thinking about not taking it because she's a republican blah 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 but one of my favorite Ainsley Hayes moments and it's also just a symptom of Aaron Sorkin's like kind of sweeping sometimes heavy-handed yeah. writing that I also <laughs> <Old> love <laughs> is that yeah. her friends are like how she basically she tells them that she accepts the job and they're like how are you gonna bear it and she's just like I've wanted to work in the White House my whole life and they are righteous it's my favorite line that she it's says so good. they are righteous, they are righteous. People. yeah <laughs> anyway and they're righteous and they're good yes yeah, yes just, yes uh, yeah. She's so good. Oh, I love it. But, like, she wants to do the job, and, like, everybody's trying yeah. to undermine her and sabotage her along the way, including her friends. Yeah. I love it. Love her. And then I was thinking about C.J. Craig, who, that would be the obvious answer, I think, is, like, who who is the strongest woman on the West Wing? Who do you love? And you're like, please. Please. Or Abby Bartlett. I was going to say Abby Bartlett's killer, too. Well, no, I'm not <laughs> saying, like, who I think. I'm saying, like, in yeah. terms of, like, cultural impact, yes. she's... She's who everyone thinks of. And, but like what she does, what I really enjoy and kind of where I was thinking about, um, this kind of leads me into another, not another topic, but like at least I'm out of just harping on the fact that everybody has to follow rules and do your job. Um, CJ Craig is so good at emotionally manipulating her audience in the newsroom to give information and get them. So like, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer, right? So this goes back to, if you want, trying to tell this person what's up, you can say, I noticed that you do this. Do you, like, I, you know, this is really, you know, you kind of, you kind of talk to them like your friends and you make them open up, get them a little, you know. Vulnerable. Vulnerable. That's what I'm looking for. Thank you, Anne. Mm-hmm. I'm a little vulnerable. And then kind of be like, oh, you know, I noticed that, like, when, when you have emails, sometimes you'll write the, the boss, you know, this, I'm not, you know, is there anything that, like, I can help you with that might, that might do this? So that, you know, you can kind of turn it into, like, being kind of trying to pretend to be kind of nice you know you know i'm, I'm noticing <laughs> but that also i want to point out that even though that that's maybe manipulative it's still you're still kind of addressing the behavior in exactly a, you're addressing the work behavior exactly yeah yeah machiavelli's the prince <laughs> go back to being a right. werewolf but yeah so but it's i mean that's like cj craig is charming cj craig teaches lessons cj craig certainly manipulates the newsroom which in turn manipulates the american public however 
because it's a TV show and Sarah and Sorkin, it's tend to be done in a righteous way. <laughs> and so, and she, you can watch her struggle with that. But I think I like that because it kind of shows like, and she's off, she's sabotaged a lot too. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, this, it's all over the place. And how you can, you can kind of own the situation by being a friend. And also, you know, be nice. You and can, a pal and a confidant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have Kate Harper, and then she's just later, and I love her on The West Wing. She's great. She's also someone who who just loves her job and does a really good job. That's it. Yep. And I believe that I'm done. Those were all exemplary. Thank you. If I may say so. Is that the right word? Uh, yeah. It feels right. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, if it feels right, then <laughs> I would like, if I may, to close this out with a poem. A poem, um, one of my favorite poems of all time, actually, um, by Mary Rufel, who I believe I just read in a previous episode, perhaps the episode that is airing right before this one. But Mary Rufel's great, so who cares? Provenance. In the fifth grade, I made a horse of paper mache and painted it white and named it Aurora. We were all going to the hospital, each one with his little animal, to give to the girl who was lying on her deathbed there, whose name I can't recall. A classmate with freckles, perhaps, or such small feet her footsteps never mattered much. I did not want to give her anything. It seemed unfair she got to ride Aurora, whom I made with my own two hands, and took aside at birth and said, go while I had to walk, perhaps for a very long time. I thought perhaps the animals would all come back, together and on one day, but they never did. And so I have had to deal with wild, intractable people all my days, and have been led astray in a world of shattered moonlight and beasts and trees, where no one ever even curtsies anymore, or has an understudy. So I have gone up to the little room in my face. I am making something out of a jar of freckles and a jar of glue. I hated childhood. I hate adulthood. And I love being alive. (laughs) That is a great poem to end on. Yeah. Alex, you will have to deal with these wild, intractable people all your days, but... You have the tools to rise above it. It's unfortunately part of life, but you are on the right track. You can call this woman out. You can do your job and carry on, (laughs) my wayward Alex. (laughs) Now That We're Friends was recorded in front of a live studio audience made up entirely of our pets. Your hosts and three new friends are Caroline Cabrera, Anne Holmes, and Gail Thompson. Our producer is Lisanne, part-time vegan Ramos. Our theme music is provided by Gail Thompson. Now That We're Friends is an Oh Miami production. If you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations, you can send a voice memo or written email to newfriend at omiami.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Now That We're Friends and on Twitter and Instagram at NTWF Podcast.